going to have two Bible readings now. The, uh, the first reading is from the Old Testament, around about 700 years before Christ. And that talks about a prophecy, a prophecy of, uh, of peace. We'll hear that in a moment. And then after that, there'll be uh, some words of Jesus. And really, I'd like to, you to think of it as, well, how will this peace come about? And perhaps these words of Jesus are instruction how they may be brought about. They're difficult words. They're words which don't come easy to, uh, to do. But I think on this day, it's a good idea to hear these words from this prophecy of, uh, from Micah, Micah chapter 4, and then uh, words of Jesus from Luke's Gospel. So Steph could bring us the prophecy, first of all. And then after the readings, I'm then going to uh, help us to understand how these ancient readings can actually be relevant to us in 2010. Thank you, Steph. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The mountain of the Lord. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. Amen. Following playing is now going to read. We thank you, Derek. We've got Andrew. It's a hymn we've just sung. Um, I've sung it plenty of times, but it was the first time for me playing that one today. I can assure you, I don't know how it was going to 
turn out, but there you go. We've got there. Just before you go on, Derek, isn't it remarkable that Derek can play when, uh, when he's blind and now can read with, uh, with Braille? Thank you, Derek, for your contribution you make to this church. You um, read as God's word. Thank you. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 45, reading from. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not, do not hold, withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to get paid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be the children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not... Um, as not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then, uh, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruits, 
nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick, pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out from the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Thank you, God, for his word. Thank you, Derek. The first reading from the Old Testament from Micah was written at a time when people throughout the earth were worshipping a variety of man-made and handmade gods, Micah 1 verse 7. God was angry that men and women were plotting evil. We can read that in Micah 2 verse 1. Angry that men and women were jealous of their neighbours. Angry that people were being defrauded of their homes and their inheritances. That's in 2.2. All of these injustices we can read about in Micah. Religious leaders and political leaders were open to bribes in 3.5. They were quick to prepare and to wage war. And they even thought that what they were doing was done in the name of God. The country was in a mess. That's when God gave Micah this prophecy. But maybe that has a familiar ring to it. Maybe it's not too dissimilar from maybe our nation today. Micah looked upon a nation which was struggling. Micah looked and received a message of hope from God. A message that we heard today. A message about the future, not yet to be realised. When people will stream to worship God. People from many nations will worship the only true God. That's in verses 1 and 2. They will say of God, he will teach us his ways so, that they, so we may walk in his paths. And it also talks in 4 verse 3 about how God will settle disputes between nations. And then the future, the famous line, their swords will be beaten into plowshares. Of course, it needs to be updated now, and there's many references to that. There was a, an amnesty, a gun amnesty in America, one of these violent cities, and the, the, uh, the 3,000 weapons were made into, uh, into a sculpture to, uh, to emphasise that this can still come true. No longer will nations train for war, we read. Ordinary men and women will have peace and security. No one will make them afraid. These are, are wonderful thoughts. And today... We give thanks for and remember the men and women who lost their lives in the wars, defending us against invasion, liberating us. But as we do that, I don't want us to glorify war, 
the leader of Desert Storm some years ago was interviewed and he was saying how he hates war. And that, one of his soldiers said, was why I'm happy to serve under him. Because he hates war. War is bad. War is... Colin, would you mind showing us again? I know some people didn't see, because that's fine, that you kept your eyes shut in the two-minute silence. But would it be possible to show again that... Um, uh, two minutes, and let's just take take a further two minutes to uh, to see. But as we do so, recognise the the bad of war, the horror of war. But let us look forward to what Micah prophesied. Here's this man who's just an ordinary man. He was a shop assistant in, in Birkenhead. His granddaughter is here this morning and he is thrown into war. He received a medal. He put out a fire on his aircraft with his bare hands. These young men who were thrust into these situations. He wasn't famous, but he was important. He was just one of other young men who served. And young women, of course. And people, so many people were affected and are affected by war. And the interesting juxtaposition, that man was called William. And then, the modern day William. (coughs) He'd been waiting until he could... uh, be turn 18 to actually serve. He was out uh, in Afghanistan, but he had to wait. And just 38 days later, he was dead. There was a mine that went off, and he was wounded, but he was helping his other mates to try and get away. And then another bomb went off and killed them. Joe, James and William, young men, barely out of childhood, who die and 
leave their parents and brothers and sisters, maybe girlfriends. I thought this was interesting. You know, we think about the world wars, but the Afghanistan campaign is in a sense a world war. We've got uh, Alex and Valeria from Latvia, and there's three Latvians being killed in this conflict so far. People from all over the world. 1,426, but look at the number of people in Afghanistan. You know, today we just remember the casualties of war. I'm not getting into the, the rights and the wrongs, and, but just this affects lives, this destroys lives. So that's why we need to remember. Thank you, Colin. But remember not just in sadness, but we remember the prophecy in, in Micah. How is this prophecy to come? What I want you to concentrate on today is the conflicts in your lives. You see, maybe none of us will, uh, will serve in, uh, in the armed forces, but many of us know people who are. But all of us have conflicts in our lives. Maybe all of us have people who we don't get on with. Maybe even there are people who are our enemies. Maybe we wouldn't go and shoot them. But maybe they're enemies. And is it so very different? As I've been leading youth groups uh, this week, I've been showing them pictures of warfare from the First World War onwards. And then I wanted to draw out, and tonight at the Elevation Service, I'll be drawing that out using Batman, would you believe? But about good against evil, and about the conflicts that take place in the, uh, in the schoolyard, or for us at work, or in our homes, or in the people we meet. Are they so very different? They're perhaps different in scale, but it's about hatred, it's about sin, it's about lack of forgiveness, it's about injustice, it's about anger, and it's about shattered lives. Because enemies do create shattered lives in all sorts of ways. Colin, can you put up a new logo for the church? And I think it's appropriate after... Ten years of the, 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 uh, the new church, where we had the logo of the TR, the Thomas Drizzly, and, and it, it doesn't come out as clearly on this, but the, the cross with the shadow making the R, very clever. But then we've got a new idea for a logo with these dots on it. What are these dots about? Well, you may have come across it before when Chick Yule's been to us, and they represent Christians. Roughly about 7% of, of the population. So seven red dots out of the 100 dots. And if we're all bunched together, then there's not much of an impact. But if we spread out, which we are, in our own front lines, not in warfare, but front lines of mission, at work, in our homes, in our communities, then you can see that there's more of an effect but in those front lines, I would argue, there are enemies. There are people that we don't get on with. 
There are people for whom the prophecy in Four Micah has not come true. I don't think that prophecy is just about the nations. Oh, if only the nations could get on. What about our own lives? What about Monday morning? What about next week? Will there be people that you don't get on with? Will there be people that you try and avoid? Maybe those need to get sorted. If you just leave that up and we'll reflect that. Thank you, Colin. But in the, the second reading, we had these words of Jesus. These are those words. But to you who are listening, are we listening? I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Wow. These are words of Jesus. How do we respond to those? Yeah, that's, that's uh, right, perhaps for the big conflicts. But what about our, our own conflicts? He says more. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. See, what he's saying is a natural reaction is to love those who love you. But what credit is that? What Jesus is saying is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, you may say, well, Jesus was living in cloud cuckoo land. How can you do that? But don't forget, Jesus knew what enemies were. Jesus had many enemies. And this is God's way. Not a natural way, but a supernatural way. And that's why you can't be a follower of Christ without his Holy Spirit helping you, helping us, guiding us, changing our attitudes. And on November the 27th, uh, over at Lim, as part of the Alpha course, but anybody's welcome to come. There'll be a day exploring the Holy Spirit. Anybody's welcome to come. It's free, just bring your packed lunch and, and enjoy. And it goes up, the reading goes on. Don't look at the, uh, the sawdust in your own eye. Um, uh, sorry, I got that wrong, didn't I? Don't look at the plank in your own eye. You see, it's easy to twist Jesus' words to make it more comfortable. But we need to uh, take these words seriously. And in the end, about the, the tree bearing bad fruit, that what's in your heart? That's why we need to come close to God, change our heart, so that we can actually do the words that he says and live out the gospel. Clarence Darrow, a criminal lawyer, once joked, everyone is a potential murderer. I have not killed anyone, he said, but I frequently get satisfaction out of obituary notices. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, why do you find that humorous? We find it funny because it comes close to the truth, perhaps. Of all the things that Jesus commanded, loving our enemies is perhaps the most difficult. We may say, I may not love God like I should, but I'm determined to get a handle on it. I may not love my wife or, or husband the way I should, but I intend to work on it. I may not love my neighbour as I should, but I have nothing against trying. But love my enemy. 
wonder, I won't get you to put up your hands, but how many of you have got enemies? And of course I include myself in that question. Just think about your enemy. Think about loving them. It's tough, isn't it? Of course you have difficulty in loving them. They're your enemies. If you could love them, they wouldn't be your enemies anymore. Didn't Micah prophesy that? You see, they've hurt you. They've spoken against you. They've threatened your self-worth. You're standing in the community. Your finances, your job. They've subjected you to mental cruelty and perhaps even bodily harm. Maybe we say, I don't want to love these people. And yet, Jesus says, but I tell you, hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And later on in Hebrews 12, 15, it says that bitterness can rob me of salvation. When we don't love our enemies, when we harbour that hatred, we know it from the big conflicts, revenge is not sweet. Revenge just brings about more conflict. When we harbour this bitterness, harbour this anger, harbour the enmity, then it can rob us of salvation, rob us of that peace that Micah was talking about. Romans 12.21 goes further. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's many instances that we can uh, read about how this has happened. And it's a crucial question. Because as we live out the gospel, or should live out the gospel, in our everyday lives, we can have a big effect Spreading peace and love and not hatred and discord. Which is good for society. It's good to be bringing about that prophecy. (coughs) Excuse me. But also good for us. Because bitterness and hatred can warp us on the inside. And rob us of that salvation. Rob us of that forgiveness. Rob us of that peace. Leonardo da Vinci once had a terrible falling out with a fellow artist before he began work on the Last Supper. You know, the famous Last Supper. But he knew how to get his own back because he was painting Judas. And so he painted Judas as the face of the man that he had the argument with. How good did that feel? And for hundreds of years, that man would be known as the Judas. And then he came to paint the picture of Jesus. And he painted it, but he wasn't happy. I don't know quite how painters work, but he got his rubber out. I'm not sure it's not quite like that. So he tried painting again, and it just wasn't right. And then he realised what he'd done. He repainted Judas's picture and then he could get Jesus's face right. Because he was carrying out the words that Jesus said. 
about not harboring that bitterness. Just give you one more example and then we'll hand over to Pam who's going to lead us in prayer and, and perhaps, and as we end with song, perhaps the Lord will just speak to you. And if you need prayer, there's people who will pray with you. Because today I realise it's a big ask. But it's not me who's asking, because Jesus is asking me as well. It's Jesus who's asking. There was a, a, a family who, um, they'd just become Christians. And uh, so they sat down to, to read the, the Bible together. And they read the verse from Romans 12, verse 20, and I'll end with this story. Romans 12, 20 says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. They, uh, the mum and dad had two sons, aged seven and ten. And they were puzzled by this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Why should we feed our enemy, they wondered. And the mum and dad wondered that too. And all the dad could come out with, well, I suppose we're to do it because God says so. And it never occurred to them that they'd soon learn why. See, day after day, John, who was one of the children, came home from school complaining about a classmate who sat behind him. Bob keeps jabbing me when Miss Smith isn't looking. One of these days, when we're out of the eyesight of Miss Smith, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to jab him. And the mum says that I was ready to go down to school too and jab Bob myself. And any parents here will know that feeling. Obviously the boy was a brat. Besides, why wasn't Miss Smith doing a better job with the kids? I'd better go down and give her an oral jab. The mum says I was still fuming over the injustice to John when his seven-year-old brother spoke up. Maybe he should feed his enemy. The three of us were startled. None of us was sure about this enemy business. It didn't seem that enemy would be at school. An enemy was somebody who was, well, well, way off and with a uniform and a gun and all of that. We all looked at Dad. Perhaps he could come up with a solution. But the only answer he could come up with was the one he gave before. I guess we should, because God said so. Well, the mum said, if we're going to do it, let's do it properly. What does Bob like to eat? Jelly beans, came the reply. So they went out and got him a bag of jelly beans. If Bob jabs you, give him the jelly beans. They thought it was stupid, but they did it anyway. Off he went. And sure enough, the next day... Miss Smith wasn't looking, jab. John turned round with a bag of jelly beans and placed them on his enemy's desk. When he got home, everybody was wondering, what happened, what happened? It worked. What did he do? What did he say? He didn't say anything. He ate the jelly beans and he didn't jab me again. And later on, actually, they became friends.
all because of a bag of jelly beans. Now, I'm not saying it's all as simple as that and you need to turn around and uh, go around to your um, uh, enemy with a bag of jelly beans on Monday morning and everything will be right. And that's what I'm going to be saying tonight at Elevation. But all I'm saying, let's take seriously the words of God, the words that Jesus said. And as we come here today, full of memories, full of thinking about wars and enemies and Let's also look at peace and hope and give thanks for these boxes. Give thanks that we can contribute to peace through our prayers, through our words, through our actions. Let's turn to prayer and then we'll end in song. Thank you for listening.